All right, so we're going to, you know, it's Mother's Day, so um, I'm going to begin with a uh, Hallmark-type moment. Um, go ahead and put, put up the first picture there. Uh, I want to try to get in your feelings here. If you don't know that man that's not smiling, that is me, uh, 100 pounds lighter or so, and that is my beautiful wife, Amanda. That is when we went to prom 24 years ago. Um, a lot of people have given me flack about the smile. Um, if you are not Mexican, you don't understand, that is the Mexican smile. <laughs> you go to our houses and our portraits, and that's what you're going to see. Mom, dad, kids, babies, everybody smiles like that. Uh, I have become a little more Americanized, so I actually do smile now. Um, but several months back, Katie Grace, my, our youngest daughter down here, she came and she said, Poppy, uh, can you help me with a prom dress? I'm like, sure, I'll help you with a prom dress. She says, I, I want to wear my mom's old dress, but I need you to, to, you know, get it altered and do all that and kind of, you know, play the whole charade. So I was like, okay. So go ahead and show the next picture. This is her two Saturdays ago wearing the same dress that her mother wore 24 years ago. And she kept it a surprise. She, we played the whole charade of, like, we're going to go to Terry Costa and go shopping and do all that stuff, which if you've never been to Terry Costa, take you a Valium or something before you go in there. <laughs> go ahead and show the next one. But I just thought it was kind of a neat story of, you know, a child showing respect and love for their mother of I'm going to honor you by wearing what you wore 24 years ago. She did a great job. I was very proud of her. And, uh, of course, you know, it made her cry. So that's always a bonus. So. I, I did ask Katie Grace if she would, you know, do like a Mother's Day poem. Um, and so she's going to grace us with her presence and come do a poem for you ladies right quick. So. To all the mothers we spent, who spend 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and 60 minutes an hour loving the child, this one's for you. From the first time you held us in your arms, naturally given the ability to love us unconditionally, and letting no one, no one do us any harm. Moms who sacrifice time, money, and patience for any occasion and expecting nothing in return, you deserve a celebration. And not just for one day a year, not for one hour of that day, but for every day you should be praised for every second. For keeping us safe, for picking us up when we fall, for answering when we call, and for loving us through it all. To all the mothers who woke in the middle of the night when they heard the child cry, and to the mother that gave us values to live by. To all the mothers that we take for granted, granted that they have nothing in demand, but our love and our obedience in return. I say thank you for being our own personal superhero, your power being the power to transform into anything that we could ever need. You became our teacher when we, when we needed a lesson, our counselor when we needed guidance, our driver even though we drove you crazy, and sometimes you had to be the M-O-M, which meant being the ATM. And though you gave us money, <laughs> We still tend to forget how much you're worth. 
But even then, you are our gardener, and we are your seed, and you gave us the nutrients that we needed to grow faithfully and to be all that we can be. And I thank God above us for providing such wonderful mothers for all the world. So to all the mothers who spent 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, and 60 minutes, yeah, 24 hours a day, and 60 minutes an hour, loving the child, I say thank you. She now has to go to work, so that'll be the end of uh, Katie for today. Uh, she's a very dedicated worker. They ask her to call her all the time to come in. Um, I will say that she does have her last play tomorrow night uh, at Chapel Hill Auditorium at 7 o'clock if anybody wants to come. Um, just going to invite whoever wants to come out there at 7 o'clock. The high school auditorium, it'll be her last little high school performance. Uh, I will tell you that it's more kind of a kiddish play. It's not a Grease or a, uh, you know, one of the, um, I thought, greater plays that she did. But anyways, that's open to everybody. So let's go ahead and go to our scripture this morning. And it comes out of the book of Isaiah. And it's going to be Isaiah 66, 13. And it says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. As I was looking at this verse, I couldn't help but think back to sixth grade when I got sick at school. And, you know, at that point in time, I was a tough little macho dude. And I'm just going to, you know, I want to play dodgeball. So I'm going to stay at school. I want to do the after school practice. And I remember going from class to class and, you know, the teachers are like, uh, Mr. Ibarra or Martin, you don't look so good. I'm like, well, you're not good looking yourself either. But they're like, do you feel bad? I'm like, no, 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 I don't feel bad. And finally, I think it got to like sixth period, and the teacher comes up to me and is like, Martin, you do not look good. Are you feeling sick today? And I can remember my little lip just kind of quivering because, you know, I, I, I just felt bad. And so she sent me to the nurse, and the nurse gives you the little Tylenol and all the, you know, tries to make you feel better. But it wasn't until I was picked up and I actually got home that my mother bringing me some fruit and putting a cold cloth over my head that I really felt better, that I felt comforted. And I'm sure many of us in here, you have a memory of your mother like that. You have you, nobody can make you feel better until mom comes into the picture. And so when I'm reading this verse, this is what I'm thinking of. And God is literally telling us, he's telling us that just like a mother comforts you, I will also comfort you. And so God is telling us in his word, not Brother Martin's words, but in his word, that that, the, that he has given mothers a special ability, a special gift. You know, he made men in his image first, and then, you know, after that, he made, he made woman, and he made woman with special qualities. And so I want to look at a, a, a few women in the Bible this morning, and, and it's really more of a reminder for those of you that have had mothers, and everybody in here has, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So just a reminder of... of if you've had a great mom, what that's like. If you're going to be a new mom, 
of what you're going to be facing and the qualities that God has given you that you're going to be able to use in order to not only love your child, but love others. And so the first mom that I want to talk about this morning, and this one I had to look up the uh, pronunciation a couple of times and you know, I looked up five different ones, and there's five different ways to pronounce it. But it's, it's the mother of Moses. Her name is Jochbed. And so Moses' mother, we, we find her in the book of Exodus in the second chapter. And we, we find out that she has a daughter named Miriam that's about 12 years older, or 12 years old. And then she also has a son named Aaron who is about three years old. And everybody in here, well, most of you in here, you probably have gone through the whole Easter season and you remember when you only had three channels and ABC always showed the Ten Commandments. So you probably have seen this scene over and over and over. We made our kids watch the Ten Commandments and they're like, eh. And I'm like, man, it's not Easter if you don't watch the Ten Commandments. But she has two children and Scripture tells us that Jochbed was large with child. Moses was about to be born. Pharaoh at the time hears that the chosen one, the deliverer of the Israelites, is about to be born. And the first thing that he tries in, in, uh, in the first chapter, he actually tries to have the midwives say, if the, if the child that is born is a male, I want you midwives to go ahead and kill that child. The Bible says the midwives reject doing that. They're blessed. So the next thing that he comes up with in chapter 2 is he comes up that he's going to pass a decree that if, if your child is born a boy, you're going to rip that child from the mother's hands and you're going to throw him in the Nile. Basically, you're going to throw him in with the crocodiles. He's, they're going to be thrown in the river. So, of course, Jacved's son is a boy. And the Bible says that Moses is born, and for three months, this mother hides this baby. How she did it, where she put him, I do not know. I do know that I have seen mothers that, you know, when your child is first born, you worry over that child, you're constantly looking at that child, oh my gosh, is my child breathing, you cannot rest, your mind is going 100 miles an hour of, is my child safe? And these are in times where we don't even have a threat of our children being taken from our arms. As a matter of fact, you can pretty much monitor your children 24-7 now with all the little cameras and all the... We didn't have all that when I had my children. I guess we had the little sound things, but can you imagine what this mother goes through for three months trying to hide her child? The, the Bible says that she's afraid that his cries are going to give him away. And so she comes up with a plan, and really it's kind of a crazy plan if you think about it, but she, she goes down to the river and she grabs some reeds and grabs some different things, and the Bible says that she makes a basket out of it. She makes a basket out of it, and the Bible says that she puts tar and pitch over it. That probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but the last time that the Bible mentions that there was tar and pitch over a vessel, it was when Noah was saved from the flood. So you can see that this is God-inspired. This is God-given to her. And so she puts tar and pitch over it, and she, she tells Miriam, we're going to put this basket in the river, and we're going to let it float away, and she's going to have the faith that her child is not going to be eaten by a crocodile. It's not going to be drowned. 
that's a crazy plan. How many mothers do you think would have the faith to be able to put your child in the river and just let it go? So Miriam watches from afar, but Jochebed's plan is not just put it in the river and let it go. She actually puts it somewhere where Pharaoh's daughter can find this baby. And like most mothers, she's probably like, oh, Moses is the cutest little baby. I, I know as soon as this woman sees him, she's going to fall in love with him. I don't know if y'all remember some of Brother Mike's preaching, but he used to talk about ugly babies. <laughs> he's like, they come out cone-headed, beady-eyed, and he's like, they ain't pretty. He's like, that's the one time you can lie to a mother is when the baby's ugly. He's like, oh, yeah, that's the prettiest thing I've ever seen. So Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses in the river, and she does take him. And she does say, oh, this is the prettiest baby I've ever seen, and I'm going to raise him as my own. But Miriam, his sister, is watching. He goes up to Pharaoh's daughter, and he says, would you like to have a nurse, somebody to nurse the baby, you know, as it grows up? Pharaoh's daughter's like, that sounds like a pretty good plan. And Moses is literally given back to his mother for his mother to raise him before he becomes royalty before he becomes pretty much the ruler of, of the known world at that time I know there's times in your lives mothers that have grown children where you have felt helpless you don't know what direction your kids are going you don't know how you're going to do this or how you're going to do that. And, and I run across kids on Wednesday nights, and I, and I see the mothers that are doing everything to try to provide for their kids, and, and maybe they're, they're, they're stuck in relationships or they're, they're stuck in places that they don't really want to be in, but they're doing it because they love their children. They, they, they feel helpless. They, they feel like they're, they're facing impossible situations, and, and you try to figure out from day to night, day to night, how am I going to preserve my child? That's what a mother is. That's what you have been given. That's the gift that God made you like him of having that longing of, I want to protect my children. And so mothers, if you're here today and you find yourself in an impossible situation, there is a room of mothers here that have already been in those situations. They've already been there, done that, stuck their baby in the now, and they've come out on the other side. So I encourage us to be Mary's and Martha's to each other. You know, when Mary was, was, was pregnant, she was 16, but she found a Martha who was older, who gave her wisdom, gave her advice. I know there's several, several young ladies in here that have young children or you're about to. I urge you to find you a Martha and then one day be a Martha and find you a Mary. That you, can, that you can comfort. So, Jochbed, what, what the Bible is showing us is that the God who comforts as a mother promises to comfort you, young mother, if you're here and you're struggling. Or maybe your children are grown and they're still out of the will of God. That's not how you raise them. That's not what you taught them. I want you to be encouraged by this because God says, just as a mother comforts, I will comfort you, mother. Jochbed also shows us how a mother loves. She never gives up. 
Aren't you glad your mother never gave up on you? I know I am. Aren't you glad your mother stayed on her knees praying for you? I know I am. Aren't you glad that your mother, no matter how far you fell, your mother was always there trying to find a way to deliver you? Doesn't that sound like God's love? But God, I promise I won't do it again. I'll still love you. But God, how could you love me? Do you not know where I've been? I still love you. I'm still here to comfort you. I will still deliver you. But God, we ate of the forbidden fruit. Who told you you were naked? I'm going to give up my only son so that there can be a way that Martin Ibarra will go to heaven. I'm going to give up my son so that the whole world, whosoever, calls upon the name of the Lord will go to heaven. God's love is like a mother's love. Amen? Or a mother's love is like God's love. The second mother I want to look at is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, Brother Martin, that's a pretty easy one to pick. Of course she's easy to bring an example about. In John 19, 25, it says, Jesus' mother stood by his cross. Jesus' mother stood by his cross. I want you to get a picture real quick. You know, there's been some tough guys that have been hanging out with Jesus. There's been some strong men that have been hanging out with Jesus. There's some men that have said, if you die, I die. If you go down, I go down. Nothing's going to happen to you for as long as I'm alive. And those tough, strong men, they're nowhere to be found. They have fled the scene. They're, they're, they're nowhere to be found. But the Bible says that Mary has seen her son falsely accused she has seen him beaten she has seen him tortured she has seen him dragged through the streets of jerusalem she watched as his nails pierced his hands and pierced his feet she watched as that cross was raised up what a sight for a mother to behold their child is hanging on a cross in the air and I'm sure, mothers, you can empathize with this because your kids have probably gone through things or done things, and you're like, why do you keep doing this? Or you're like, my child is hurting. But Mary didn't faint. Mary did not, did not run away. Mary did not falter. No, the Bible says that Mary stood by Jesus' cross. Well, she's, she's the mother, Martin. She's supposed to. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was 12 years old, they go to the temple and, and they, the, the family's heading back home and Joseph and Mary look at each other and they're like, where's Jesus? We cannot find him. And so they have to go back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus teaching in the temple. But the Bible says that, that Mary, or, or they, they ask Jesus, they say, your father and I have been looking for you. And Jesus responds, don't you know that I am about my father's business? That doesn't mean a lot to me, Brother Martin. Look at it. It's rejection. Joseph and you are not important enough. I'm about my father's business. Have you ever had a child reject your love? Have you ever had a child reject what you're teaching them, what you're giving them? This is kind of what Jesus is doing to his mother. I'm about my father's business. You know, I, I, you're not, Joseph is not my father, and you're, why are you asking me these things? 
I know he is, but you know what I'm saying. He's rejecting them. A little bit later, it says that Jesus comes back to his home, home area, and, and they're upset with him, and they're like, this is just the son of a carpenter. And they're upset with him, so they take Jesus, and they're about to throw him off a cliff, but they don't because he's Jesus. He's all-powerful. He gets out of this situation. But Mary, his mother, hears about what's going on with Jesus. Have you ever heard things about your child that are happening? You don't know, but you hear things. This is what Mary is hearing. So she goes with his brothers, and somebody comes up and says, Hey, Jesus, your brothers and your mother are asking about you. And Jesus says, Jesus tells them, Who is my mother? And he's basically saying, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have time for them right now. And he's rejecting Mary at the time. As a mother, you will feel rejection in life. You will feel rejection from your little babies. You will feel the pain of not knowing what they're doing, not knowing where they are. But God has equipped you in a special way that no matter how much you are rejected, no matter how much you are, I guess in a sense, just kind of shunned by your children, God has equipped you with, with, with a gift that you're going to remain true to your children no matter what. If your child is hanging on the cross, you're going to be there at the cross. Father may not be, brothers may not be, but the Bible says that Mary was at the cross. When everybody else had faded away, when everybody else had given up, and this is a gift just like God. There's no mountain that's too high. There's no river that's deep enough, too wide. There's nothing that we can do when we become the children of God. We cannot reject him in such a way that he's ever going to give up on us. God's always there, just like a mother is always there. Amen. The last one, last mother I want to look at. And this is probably one most of us aren't too familiar with. Her name is Rispa. And Rispa can be found in the second Samuel chapter 21. And Rispa is the mother of two of Saul's, you know, Saul was the first king of Israel. She's the mother of two of his sons. And she's not ever his wife. She's actually a concubine. So she has these two kids, and Saul, you know, he was a, a guy that kind of started off really well. You know, uh, he started off really strong with God, but by the end of, of Saul in the Bible, Saul actually proclaims, I have played the part of a fool. The reason that he's saying that is because he just couldn't seem to do God's way of doing things. He always had a better plan, always had a different idea. He just couldn't hold up to what God was telling him to do, how God told him to do it. Anyways, God made a vow with a group called the Gibeonites, and he said, I'm not going to push you out of the promised land. The Gibeonites can stay here. We're not going to bring harm to them. Well, guess what Saul's bright idea was? Let's go kill the Gibeonites going against the vow that God had made with that group of people. So, anyways, 
he ends up going, trying to kill the Gibeonites, and God brings judgment on him. He ends up basically killing himself, and his whole household pretty much falls apart. And so then enters David into the picture. Everybody knows about David. So King David, he's like, man, our people are cursed at the time because of the vow that, um, that Saul broke. He's like, what do we have to do in order to make atonement? In order to make things right, what do we need to do? And so it ends up saying that Saul's seven sons, he has seven sons left, they need to be brought to a hill over at Gebeah, and all his sons need to be hung. That's the atonement. And so they bring Saul's seven sons, and they are hung on the hill of Gebeah. But among those seven sons are Rispa's two sons. And scripture tells us that Rispa, as a mother, she brings and she spreads out a sackcloth, and that is a representation of mourning over her sons. But she comes where her sons are hanging. She puts a sackcloth down. And the Bible says that she stays there in the month of April. She stays there in May, in June, July, August, September, and October. The Bible says that during the day, she's fighting off the birds that are trying to peck at her sons. And at night, she's trying to get the wild animals away that are trying to eat her children. For seven months, this mother stays there with her children hung until she dies, until she passes away. David hears about this, and he goes, and he has the seven sons taken down, and he takes the mother, and he gives them a proper burial. Can you imagine, for seven months, you look up at your beautiful boys, that were so full of life. And you know what happens when you pass away. You deteriorate. The stench starts to come out. All the things are happening. And she is there beating away the wild animals because she loves the unlovely. She loves the unlovable. And there have been people that have written these kids off because they're a curse, but they're a treasure to her. There are people that would not even give them a, a proper burial because they don't deserve to have even the burial of a dog, but she stays there and she loves the unlovable. She, she, she sees her babies turn from, from beautiful babies to just something that is just gross. She did not cast them out of her heart. She actually took them in deeper to her heart. They were the objects only a mother could love. When others shunned her kids, she, she didn't shun them. When they were treated with this grace, she had compassion for her boys. Rispa shows a mother who loves the unlovely and despicable and she shows, she shows how God loves you and me. Because a lot of times, I'm unlovely. I know that's hard to believe. A lot of times, I'm unlovable. A lot of times, I'm despicable. A lot of times, if God really saw me for who I am, it would not be pretty at all. But God, just like Rispa, he's like, I don't care what, how dirty you look. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how unlovely you are. I don't care that your mom's or your dad's given up on you. I don't care that anybody has given up on you. I'm still here, and I still love you. 
And a lot of times I love you even when you don't love yourself. Amen. So, I know it's just one day. And I wish, I wish we could celebrate Mother's Day every day because I, I wholeheartedly believe that there's only, it's only a mother that can give comfort like what we just talked about. It's only a mother that's going to be able to, to be there even when you reject her. It's only a mother that's never going to give up on you. You know, us dads, we have egos. We have pride. Mothers have love like God loves. Amen. Father, we love you. Just thank you for this day. Lord, I just pray over all the mothers that are present here today, any watching online. Lord, I pray for the mothers that are about, or they are mothers now, but they're expecting their first child. And Lord, I just pray a blessing upon them, Lord. I just pray strength and wisdom and just encouragement over them, Lord. They're about to enter one of the one of the best stages of life, of having their own children. Lord, it's not going to come without struggles and without doubts, but Lord, I just pray that the women that have already been there have already been at that stage and have gone through the, through the struggle that it, it is to love the unlovable, that we can be an encouragement to them. Lord, just be with all our mothers. Bless them. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so... At this time, oh, you gonna do it next time? We just want to give an opportunity, all as always, for you to respond to the Lord, uh, Brother Martin. Thank you for that message. Maybe today uh, is a good day for you to get saved. Maybe your mom's been praying for you, as Brother Martin said, uh, a praying mom. Uh, you cannot put a price on that. So uh, we want to just give an opportunity for uh, uh, maybe your mom's been praying for you. Maybe you've always resisted the Lord. I can't think of a better day to come to the Lord than on Mother's Day and answer answer a mom's prayer. Amen. So uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Uh, we're going to stand. The altar's open. If you want to come pray, Brother Martin will be on that side. I'll be on this side. You need to join the church. Whatever uh, decision needs to be made this morning, we would just want to give a couple of minutes for that. So if you would, uh, you come now as Julie sings. All right.
That's good. God still answers prayer, still heals people every single day. Amen. Well, Brother Martin, thank you for that message. I'm going to let Brother Martin uh, dismiss us, and I know he's got, we've got gifts for you uh, for all the moms, so I'm going to let him handle that. All right. If you are not a mother, you can have a seat. <laughs> That's how we're going to do it. No, you, you're a you're, you're mother. Um, and I, I got asked this question earlier. We, we do, uh, if you're a, a, a pet mom, we'll accept it. So... What our kids are going to do is y'all grab some roses and give each mother a rose. And, you know, a lot of times church is more family than your own family. And so I know for a lot of these kids and for myself, you've played a motherly role in my life. And I just want to thank you for that. Um, and I know there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of kids out there that feel the same way that I do. One of our kids actually uh, graduated from college yesterday. His name's Jordan Williams, if y'all remember him. I know... Miss, Miss BJ does, but uh, he came to us in 10th grade, and, you know, lots of people in this church had a great influence on that young man, and uh, it's through the love that you ladies provide, so thank you. Don't forget the nursery workers, too, and Miss Julie up here. Good job, Eric. Again, thank you. I hope you have a great rest of your Mother's Day. Hope your kids spoil you. Uh, let's just close in prayer and we'll go from there. Father, we love you. Just thank you for this service today. Again, just lift our mothers up to you and thank you for all the love that they give us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>